All right, friends, uh, do me a favor. Pull out your Connections Journal. It looks like this. If you forget to take it home with you or if you're ever listening on the audio podcast, you can go to the website, find the same information at TimberlakeUMC.org. Go to the Connections Journal page and you'll see scripture readings and questions for reflection for each day of the week. This is a guide for your prayer and study. And everything here listed on the Connections Journal is related to just what we're talking about today and, and throughout this week together. So please let this be a blessing to you and I hope that you will use it. All right, this morning our scripture lesson is James chapter 5, and we're going to read verse 9. Really important, really powerful, but brief. Listen to this, the word of God, James chapter 5, verse 9. Don't grumble. Did you get it? All right, let's read it again. I'm not sure if we all got it. Let's make sure. James chapter 5, verse 9. Don't grumble. Oh, you did get it that time. Nice. So uh, a new monk went to the monastery to live for the first time, and this was a pretty strict monastery, and their, their vow, their covenant was that they were silent. They were silent all the time. They didn't speak, except for once a decade, each brother could say two words. And so the new monk, he goes to live in the monastery, and 10 years pass, and he goes after those 10 years to the brother monk in charge, and he says his two words. He says, bed hard. And so they gave him a bed that was slightly less hard than the one he had had before. And another 10 years go by, and, and again, he goes to the brother monk in charge, and uh, he says his two words. He said, food, terrible. So they put him on kitchen duty, and they said, well, you know, you can help make the meals, you know, if you, if you think it's so bad. And, and another 10 years goes by, and he goes to the brother monk in charge, and the, the brother monk in charge says, what, what would you like to say as your two words this time? And the brother said, I quit. And the brother monk in charge said, well, honestly, I'm not surprised. You've done nothing but complain since you got here. <laughs> Welcome back to our series, friends, Stung by the Tongue. We are talking this month about the power of our words, the power of our words to build up or to tear down, the power of our words to move us closer to God or further away. And we know that the words that we say on the outside say a lot about who we are on the inside, right? That words speak the condition of our souls, and that's one of the reasons that our words are so important, because they are a barometer of how we are doing and how we are with God who loves us. And so on this Thanksgiving week, we have come to a, a conversation about gratitude. We are talking about what it would mean for us to be grateful people and to be thankful. I want you to look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Friends, we are called to give thanks and to give thanks in all things. And this is God's will for us. This is God's desire for us. God wants us to be grateful people. And it shouldn't surprise us because we know that people who are grateful are healthier, they're happier, they live longer. It turns out gratitude is actually good for us. God knows that. God knows that the character of our community is transformed when you and I become grateful, not just when it's easy and comfortable, but when, even when things are difficult. And so the scripture says, give thanks in all circumstances. So 
let's be honest, and we read that, that, that's hard, right? Because we don't always give thanks in all circumstances. Gratitude doesn't always come easy. It comes a lot easier when it comes to complaining, right? And grumbling is a lot easier than being grateful. And we find ourselves complaining a lot or being disappointed or finding fault. I don't know about you, but uh, when things don't go my way in life, I have a tendency to complain. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder if anybody else is in the same boat with me this morning. You know, two weeks ago, we talked about criticism, and we talked about how you might do something and really appreciate, love what you've done, and 12 people could tell you how great it is, and if only one person tells you how awful it is, you're going to remember the one. You're going to remember the one criticism, aren't you? And that's, that's the way we sort of operate as human beings. Well, I find gratitude is the same. And we could have a hundred things to be thankful for, but just let one inconvenience slip in, and that's the thing we tend to focus on. And instead of being grateful for the hundred things, we tend to complain about the one thing. You know, in the morning, I wake up uh, in, a, in a nicely heated house in a comfortable bed in a, in a home that's really too big for the four people who live in it. And then I go and get in the shower, and I have as much hot water as I want. And then, uh, then I go in my closet, and I choose from dozens and dozens of shirts and pants and several belts and over 20 pairs of shoes, even though I only have one pair of feet to put them on. <laughs> and then I go, and I have a, a delicious breakfast, and I kiss my children who are healthy and wonderful and, and mostly obedient. And um, then I get in my truck, which runs great, and I drive here to this job where I get to work with all of you who are incredible people. And you know, out of all of that, the whole morning, you know what I remember and notice most? That guy who cut me off on Waterlick Road. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, daggone it. What is wrong with you? Where'd you learn to drive? Oh, what a terrible way to start my day. And instead of starting with gratitude, I'm starting with complaining. The book of James says, don't grumble. Don't grumble. At least four places in the New Testament, it says, don't complain or don't grumble or don't act out in this disappointment all the time, but instead find gratitude. But that's hard, isn't it? Because complaining comes so naturally. Friends, in the garden of life, complaints are like weeds. Have you noticed that? Complaints are like weeds in the sense that they, they spring up all the time. You don't have to put any effort into it. And there they are popping up all over the place. And if you're not careful, they can take over the whole thing. Now, gratitude, on the other hand, gratitude is like watermelon. It's much sweeter. It's much more pleasant. But it actually takes hard work to cultivate it. We have to be intentional about it. Friends, we know that gratitude is more than just a few thank yous here and there. Gratitude is a matter of the heart. Gratitude is a state of mind. Gratitude is a lifestyle for people who are called disciples of Jesus Christ. So today we're going to talk about how we do that, about how we cultivate gratitude in our lives. We've been going through the book of James all this month, and we started in chapter 3, and last week we moved into chapter 4, and today we're in chapter 5. And I want to look with you at what chapter 5 of James says about how to cultivate gratitude in our lives. And I want to suggest to you that this book is giving us three means of grace, three ways of accessing the grace of God to help us to be grateful people. So the first one is this, means of grace number one, share blessings freely. We are called to share our blessings freely. So when we open up James chapter five, it starts like this. Now listen, you rich people, 
Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? James is warning the Christian community about the danger of hoarding our wealth. And I think, friends, the danger of hoarding our wealth is this. When we come to depend on material things, we are fooled into thinking that we don't need God. We only need stuff. But James is pretty clear that stuff is not lasting, is it? Because gold and silver corrode and material things fade away. And so instead of hoarding, we're invited to depend on God and we're invited to share what we have, trusting that if God has given me this much, if I share it, God's going to continue to give to me. God's going to continue to bless me. And what we know is that an awareness of God's provision creates gratitude. When we acknowledge other people don't have the kind of blessings we have, that creates gratitude. Thank God I have what I have and that I've always been taken care of. Brothers and sisters, we know that there is a connection between gratitude and generosity. Have you noticed this? There is a connection between gratitude and generosity. And that is to say, people who are aware of their blessings are more likely to share their blessings with other people. People who are grateful for what they have are more likely to share it with others. People who are more aware of how much they've been forgiven are more likely to forgive others. Gratitude and generosity go together. So means of grace number one is being grateful uh, by sharing our blessings with others. Means of grace number two, patience. We are called to be patient. Look with me at James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Friends, we know that patience leads to gratitude, like the farmer who waits, having planted the seed, waits for the crops to grow and, and, and the land to yield its harvest. We are called to be patient and to wait on God to wait on the Lord. So what's so powerful about patience? Well, I think it's this. I think patience is so powerful because it leaves room for contentment in our lives. You ever notice how discontented we are? You see, the problem with impatience is it suggests that I cannot possibly have peace in my life until the circumstances get better. The problem with impatience is it suggests I cannot possibly enjoy God's goodness until things in my life are just exactly the way I want them. Friends, isn't it possible that God would be working even in the difficult circumstances in our lives? Isn't it possible that God would use that even more than the good because we're in a place of openness and vulnerability? We're in a place of actually needing God and so patience allows for contentment, and contentment allows for gratitude. Look with me at verse 8. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. So friends, we are called to be patient, and why? Because Jesus is coming back, and it's soon. Now what's the date? We don't know, but it is soon. And we may not talk about it enough, but friends, I want to remind you this morning that we believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. He is coming back again. 
And, and that's what the next season we're about to enter into is all about. Next Sunday, we're going to start our Advent celebration here at Timberlake. And Advent means coming. Advent is all about the coming of Jesus. And we usually think about, oh, yeah, Christmas. He came as a baby in a manger. That's right. That's the first coming. But, friends, there is a second coming, and Jesus is not coming back as a sweet, cute baby in a manger. He's coming back as the king in glory, and he is going to reorder God's world according to God's original design. And so he's going to heal every wound, and he's going to bring order out of chaos, and everything that's out of line, he's going to put back into line. And the scriptures say that every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And so the reason we can have patience is we can trust that God is going to be faithful to God's promises, that Jesus really is going to come back and set things right. And in the meantime, in the meantime, our patience produces contentment, and contentment produces gratitude. Means of grace number three is perseverance. Perseverance. We are invited to persist, to be determined, to be stubbornly committed to the way of the cross of Jesus Christ. Friends, look with me at verse 11 from chapter 5. James writes, As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Y'all know the story of Job, don't you? A man who lost almost everything, and he was bewildered, and he was angry, and he was hurt, and, and he doubted, and yet he found a way still to trust God because the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Friends, perseverance means giving thanks in all things. We read from 1 Thessalonians earlier, it says, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, I want to submit to you that we're pretty good at giving thanks when things are good. And when something great happens, we say, oh, thank you, God, that's awesome. But what about when things aren't so good? Can we give thanks in those circumstances? So when your car breaks down, give thanks. And when you have an unexpected bill to pay, give thanks. And when your marriage is in trouble, give thanks. The Bible says, give thanks in all circumstances. And you know, what we see is the effect of this habit of gratitude is that gratitude is no longer situational. It's not based on favorable circumstances in which I can be grateful. If I'm grateful all the time, it means my circumstances don't actually matter that much. Because you know what matters is the goodness of God. Because God is always good. My brothers and sisters, God is always working for good in your life. And so it doesn't matter so much what the circumstances are. When we're grateful, we can see that God is working for our good. And biblical gratitude is not based on the kind of life that you and I have. It is based on the character of God, which means we give thanks not because everything's perfect. Rarely is life perfect. We give thanks because God is good, and God is good all the time. One of the churches where I served, we had a monthly feeding ministry. And every month we would open our church doors to men and women, many of whom were homeless, and they would come and we would feed them. And one month in particular, I remember I talked to a woman and I, I just greeted her and I said, hey, how are you doing today? And she said, blessed and highly favored. And I thought to myself, I didn't say it out loud because I, I had a moment of, of wisdom. I just said it to myself and I said, Really? Really, you consider yourself blessed and highly favored? You know, here's a person who uh, has no home and, and no car and no job and no food. 
How can she consider herself blessed and highly favored? And then I remembered those words actually come from the scripture. And those are the same words that the angel said to Mary when Mary found out that she was going to give birth to the Savior of the world. And her world was just being turned upside down. And the angel said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Friends, that is what gratitude through perseverance looks like. Counting ourselves blessed, counting ourselves highly favored, not because the circumstances are favorable, but because God is with us and God is good all the time. Okay, let's recap. Three means of grace, three ways that we can access the grace of God to become grateful people. One, share our blessings freely. Don't hoard, but share. Two, be patient Practice patience and wait on the Lord. And three, persevere even through the midst of difficult circumstances. Now, what I want to suggest to you this morning is as we read a book like James, this is not a formula to put ourselves in good standing with God, friends. Only Jesus Christ can do that. Rather than a formula to become better people, this is more like entering into the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Because I want to suggest to you that even before we thought about doing these three things, this is what Jesus has done for us. Okay, so as we come to the communion table this morning, I want you to consider what God has done for you through the grace of Jesus Christ. And so number one, he has shared freely. He's given his life. Jesus had his body broken and his blood shed so that you and I can eat and drink and be filled with all the fullness of God. And the second thing, he's been patient with us. Raise your hand if God has been patient with you. Yeah, God has patiently waited, right, like the father on the steps waiting for the prodigal son to return and said, as soon as you're ready to come home, you are welcome here because you are a daughter, you are a son of the king, the most high God, and you are always welcome here in my life. God has been patient with us, friends. And finally, Jesus has persevered. He has overcome. He's overcome our sin and the brokenness of this world because of the brokenness of his body. This week on Thursday, it's a big day, right? What's Thursday? Thanksgiving, right? This is our wonderful time to eat turkey and stuffing and hang out and watch football and take naps. (laughs) I love the nap. That's so good. But you know what, friends? That's our American Thanksgiving, and that's good. I want to suggest to you something. This is our Christian Thanksgiving. And we've got a lot to be thankful for, but not least is the grace of Jesus Christ, who gave his body and his blood so that we can be forgiven of our sin, so that we can come into relationship with the God who loves us.